At this time of year, our thoughts turn to Bethlehem, to the stable, the star, Mary and Joseph, and the child who was born. When Jesus was born, his birth was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before his birth that he would be born of a virgin. Micah prophesied that he would be born in the town of Bethlehem. And David prophesied as to how he would die. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he declared, Behold, the Lamb of God. That was a recognition that Jesus was the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies. And it also was a recognition of the ministry of Jesus. You see, the Lamb of God symbolizes sacrifice and also symbolizes the Savior. And today I want us to look at two pictures of the Lamb, of, or four pictures of the Lamb of God that will depict for us the ministry of Jesus. First of all, there is the Lamb of Sacrifice. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse number 1. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father? And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. As I read that passage of Scripture, and I've read it so many times, I cannot imagine the struggle that was going on. There was the struggle with Abraham, first of all, a theological struggle in his mind. You see, if he disobeyed the Lord and the command that was given to him, then he had killed the root of the covenant. Because the covenant between God and Abraham was contingent upon Abraham's obedience to God so if he were disobedient to God, then he destroyed the root of the covenant. He was disobedient. On the other hand, if he were obedient to God, then he destroyed the fruit of the covenant because Isaac was the promised son, the promised heir, and he would be dead. So theologically, it was almost a lose-lose for Abraham. If he disobeyed God, then he destroyed the basis for the covenant. If he obeyed God, then he destroyed the heir of the covenant. 
There was also an emotional struggle going on, not only theologically, but emotionally. In verse number 2, and he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Can you imagine that? Honestly, can you imagine that? Take your son and offer him as a sacrifice. Your only son. This is the son of the covenant. This is the son of the future. This is the son who will bear your name into the future. Take your only son and sacrifice him. The son whom you love. I think that there is a unique bond between fathers and uh, their sons. Now, every father needs a little girl. I'm so glad that I have one, but it's your son who carries your name forward and so forth. And so the Lord is saying to him to take the son, the son that you love, and sacrifice him. I am um, amazed at Eric and his relationship to his two sons and daughter. He's a much better father than he had. And I told Linda, I said, you know, Hank has one more year in school and then he's going to go off to college. And Eric is going to miss him far more than he realizes. He knows he's going to miss him, but he's going to miss him far more than he realizes. Take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and sacrifice him there. And then there was also the struggle, what would he tell his wife? I mean, he took his son and sacrifices his son. Now, what is he going to tell his wife when he comes home without his son? So as I look at it, there is a struggle that is going on in Abraham, but there was also a struggle with Isaac. In verse number 7, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father? And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, when I think about Isaac in this situation... He knew that something strange was happening. He didn't fully understand what it was. He had confidence in his father. But then he says, but Dad, we have the fire, we have the wood, but where's the sacrifice? Can you imagine how that must have cut into the heart of Abraham, knowing what God had told him to do? So there was the struggle of obedience that is going on. And yet, as I look at it, I see that Abraham, even though there was a struggle, even though he did not fully understand it, even though it was a tremendous sacrifice that was required, he nevertheless responded in faith. And his faith teaches us something. It teaches us about God's faithfulness. Look at verse number 8. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham, goodness, had such trust in God. As he said to his son, Son, I don't understand it all, but I have confidence that God is going to provide the sacrifice. There's an interesting passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. The Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendant shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. 
Do you understand that in his mind he actually offered his son? In his mind he did it. In his mind, in his heart, he was obedient to God, actually offering his son to God. But he had this kind of faith. He believed that God, because God had made the promise, could even raise men from the dead. That's the kind of faith that he had. He trusted God, though he did not understand. Jesus had that kind of trust in the Father. When he was in Gethsemane and he was crying out to the Father, let this cup pass from me, but then he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. He had that kind of trust in God. Folks, that's the kind of trust you and I are to have in the Lord. We face all of these circumstances, all of these situations in life, some good, some not so good. We don't understand them, but in faith we are obedient to God because we trust God. And that was Abraham. We learn God's faithfulness. And then we learn God's right. It is God's right to make demands of His children. Now, sometimes we might not like them, but it is God's right. It was God's right to make a demand of Abraham. It is God's right to make demands of us. But we also learn about God's grace. He does not have to destroy to bless. Look at verse number 12. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. There's something else that we learn about his grace, and that's what God requires. He provides. Look at verse number 13. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went out and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. God demanded a sacrifice, and then God provided a sacrifice. God provides what he requires. When the Lord said to Moses, Moses, I want you to lead my people Moses replied, God, I can't do that. He said, I am not a speaker. I am not eloquent. I'm not able to stand before people. And in Exodus chapter 4, verse number 12, God says, Now then go, and I, even I, will be with you, with your mouth, and teach you what you are to say. He said, I am asking you to do this, and I am providing for you what is required of you. That's always true. God requires service of us, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So the Bible says that as believers we are to serve the Lord, and then He gives us spiritual gifts out of which we serve the Lord. God says to us that we are to give, and then He gives to us that we might be able to give. We see, first of all, the Lamb of Sacrifice. That was Jesus. He was the Lamb of Sacrifice. But then secondly, we see the Lamb of Deliverance. Now turn over to Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse number 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house, or to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. 
Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And then in verse 13, And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, in this picture of the Lamb, this is Jesus who delivers his people. Now, you know the story here. Israel was in Egyptian bondage. They began to cry out to God, asking God for deliverance. It was then that God raised up Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, let my people go, which Moses did. But Pharaoh resisted. He said, no, I'm not going to let them go. And then the plagues began to come. And at that point, Pharaoh began to compromise. He said, all right. If you will stop these plagues, then I will let you go, but don't go far. And Moses said, no, we're not going to sacrifice to God here. And so the plagues began to come again. And then Pharaoh said, if you will stop the plagues, then I'm going to let you go, but you can't take your cattle. And Moses said, no, we're taking our cattle also. And the plagues began to come again. And then Pharaoh said, okay, you can go, but you can't take your children. And Moses said, no, we're taking our children too. We're taking everything. And the plagues began to come again. And then there was the plague concerning the firstborn. In Exodus chapter 11, verse number 4, And Moses said, thus says the Lord about midnight, I'm going out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Now, this picture reminds us that God delivers his people. That's what you see there in verse number 7. When he said, moreover, they shall take some of the blood, put it on the doorpost, on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And then in verse number 13, when he says, And when the death angel comes and sees the blood, he will pass over. So here is the plague of the firstborn, but God says to his people, Take the blood of the Passover lamb and put it on the doorpost, and when he sees the blood, then he will pass over you. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the deliverer. And ladies and gentlemen, we also are delivered by the blood of the Lamb. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. As I look at this picture of the Lamb, I see the Deliverer. The one who sacrificed his life that he might deliver his people. But then there is the lamb of substitution. Because this lamb, the Passover lamb, the lamb of God, gave his life that we might be saved. He became a substitute for us. Now, the lamb has to be unblemished, according to chapter 12, verse number 5. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So, 
He is saying concerning the Passover lamb, it has to be an unblemished lamb. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was that unblemished lamb. At the trial, Pilate took Jesus. He thoroughly interrogated him. He looked at him. He questioned him. And then he came back declaring that Jesus was unblemished. In Luke 23, verse 4, And Pilate said to the chief priests and the multitudes, I find no guilt in this man. He is unblemished when Pilate investigated, when Pilate interrogated, he said he is unblemished. Judas said the same thing. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and then in Matthew 27, 4, he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He is unblemished. I have sinned because I betrayed the one who is innocent. Unblemished. The Roman centurion who watched him die declared that he was unblemished. He said, truly, this was the Son of God. And folks, this unblemished lamb had to be unblemished. That was the requirement. This unblemished lamb became a substitute for our sins. The time of the crucifixion is interesting and I think also important because the crucifixion of Jesus came at the time of the Passover. The Bible says in John 18:28, they led Jesus therefore from Caiaphas into the praetorium and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium in order that they might not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. From noon until three o'clock, the Passover lambs were being slain. At the same time, Jesus was being crucified. Because he is the Passover lamb. Now, the Passover lambs could not remove the sin of man, but the Lamb of God could. You see, when Jesus died, folks, he paid our debt of sin. That's what it means when he said from the cross, it is finished. It is paid, which is what that means. It is paid in full. He says that I have paid the debt in full. He paid for our sins, and His sacrifice is sufficient to cleanse us from all sin. Is that good news or what? That the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is sufficient. To cleanse us from all sin. Hebrews 12, uh, 10, 14 says, For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. When Jesus Christ shed His blood, when He died on the cross, folks, His shed blood is sufficient to cleanse us from all sin for all time. Oh, preacher, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. His blood is sufficient to cleanse us from all sin for all time. That is the sufficiency of the Savior. He was the substitute for our sin. But then He's the Lamb of victory. The fourth picture we see of the Lamb is in the book of Revelation. In fact, 
Jesus is referred to as the Lamb 29 times in the book of Revelation. And when we see him there, when John glimpses into the future, he is still the Lamb of sacrifice. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a Lamb standing as if slain. Do you see that? A Lamb standing as if slain. The one who was slain. The one who died on the cross, he is standing because he still lives. When John looked into the Revelation, he saw the living Savior who was the sacrifice, who died on the cross, but he is still standing. He is still the Lamb of sacrifice. He is still the Lamb of deliverance. By his shed blood, man is still delivered from sin. Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 says, And one of the elders answered, saying to me, Those who are clothed clothed in the white robes, who are they and from where have they come? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We are still washed in the blood and cleansed by the blood. Some years ago, there was a service in San Francisco. The preacher who was preaching was one who was liberal, did not believe the Bible, did not believe in the blood and so forth. And so he made reference to that, questioning the idea of man being forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus. And so he was making his point, questioning the cleansing of the blood. And so the story went, the report came, that there was a little lady in the audience who stood. And she began to sing, There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. And in the report that was given when she started singing the second verse, there were about 200 people who stood and were singing with her. And they said when she came to the third verse, there were a thousand people standing singing, Dear dying Lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. He is still the Lamb of deliverance. And His blood is still sufficient to save us from all sin for all time. And He is still the Lamb of victory. Revelation 12, verses 4 and 5, And His tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them down to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations. Folks, that is John's version of the Christmas story. The baby who was born. The advent. The fulfillment of prophecy. And then when the baby was born, he says that the adversary, Satan, began trying to destroy that baby. That's always been true. 
When Jesus was born, Herod sent people to kill all the male children, two years old and under, to make sure that he destroyed the one who was born. When Jesus was in the wilderness, Satan tempted him, trying to get him to fall down and worship him. At Calvary, when Jesus was crucified, he thought he had completed the task that Jesus had finally been done away with. And still today. There's such an attempt today to remove Jesus from our thoughts, to remove Jesus from society. And if he is here, then put him along equal to everyone else, to every other religion. But he's still standing. That was John's version of Christmas. The woman gave birth. Satan tried to destroy him, but he's still standing. At Christmas, we remember Mary's little lamb, the lamb of sacrifice who became a sacrifice for us, the lamb of deliverance. He shed his blood that we might be delivered, the lamb of substitution. He took our place on the cross that we might be forgiven, and the lamb of victory. He still stands. I read this... uh, past week that Christopher Hitchens had died. Some of you are familiar with him. He was a well-known atheist, wrote the book, God is Not Great, and others. I saw him interviewed on television. He, was, uh, he had cancer, and he obviously was not far from death when he was interviewed. He said, now, I know that religious people like to tell stories about last-minute conversions and so forth. He said, if you hear that I did that, just know that I wasn't lucid because that's not what I believe. And as far as I know, he died not having done that. And, 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 you know, I mean, it's sad to me. That is so sad to me. The truth of the matter is I always enjoyed hearing him speak. I didn't agree with anything he said. But I thought that he, he was intelligent, but he totally rejected the idea of the Lord, and he died, as far as I know, without the Lord. And then I read about W.B. Henson, who also was diagnosed with a terminal illness. He got away to ponder what was before him. He said, then in the evening, I looked up into the great sky where God was lighting his lamps. And I said, I may not see you many more times, but mountain, I shall be alive when you are gone. And river, I shall be alive when you cease running toward the sea. And stars, I shall be alive when you have fallen from your sockets in the great downpulling of the material Universe. That is the confidence that we have in Jesus. If we know Jesus, then ladies and gentlemen, we live forever with Him. That is the promise and that is the confidence. Do you know Jesus? Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And if you have not, I pray that you will today. 
Father, we thank you for the Lamb who came, whose birth we celebrate at this season. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made, for the blood that you shed, and for the sufficiency of your sacrifice. Lord, I pray today for those who do not know you, that they would commit their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand and the choir will sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here without Jesus, would you commit your life to him today? You say, well, I don't know what to do. With staff members will be standing here to receive you. Just come and tell them, say, I want to be a Christian. They'll pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, my doors are open to you. I hope you'll come. Stand with me, please, as they sing, you come, I'll greet you, you should do.